Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Charles Leclerc takes the fastest lap of the race and wins the Australian Grand Prix. B1. Yes. Let's go. Come on. Yes. What a comfortable victory that was for the championship leader. Max Verstappen had to retire. Perez takes second place. George Russell comes home to finish in third in this Australian Grand Prix. Melbourne, you delivered once again. It's been three long years since we were last racing in Australia. And what a tremendous Grand Prix it was on Sunday. Welcome, folks, to the F1 Nation podcast with me, Tom Clarkson, and there is no Damon or Natalie this weekend. So I've jumped on my Channel 10 colleagues down here, uh, down under, Richard Crail, Sam Power, who knows who else is going to join <laughs> us during the pod, but what a tremendous race. Richard, let's start with you. You were calling the race for Network 10. How much do you enjoy it? What a tremendous performance by Charles Leclerc. Wasn't it? Yeah. To answer your first question, absolutely loved it. And I grew up in Adelaide watching Damon Hill. I'm very disappointed he's not here. So, Damon, if you're uh, listening, next time make sure you come to Australia. So I grew up, I, I love Formula 1 since I was a, a little tacker, Tom. So to be able to call the Grand Prix for Network TV in Australia for starters was amazing. What an interesting race. Um, I think there's two different storylines. One of them is the failure of Red Bull and Max Verstappen to capitalise on what should have been second place. But Charles Leclerc was dominant. His lap in qualifying was outstanding and pulled three tenths on the field. And at no point in that Grand Prix did he look like he was going to be beaten. Brief challenge early from Max, but he built seven seconds in the first 10 laps. And that was the race. Even through two safety cars, a VSC, he wasn't going to be toppled, was he? Yeah, and you may hear the music in the background. Look, we're in the paddock. We've parked ourselves strategically between McLaren and Ferrari. So that music is the celebrations going on at Ferrari. Hey, Sammy, Sam Power, you spoke to so many drivers over this weekend. You've spoken to them all 10 times over. What do you make of Charles Leclerc's performance? Let's keep going with Ferrari for a second. I, incredibly dominant. I mean, every single interview that I did with him, he was nothing but cool, calm and collected. It's like it was water off a duck's back. A lot of other drivers, that could, they, you could see the pressure was there. They felt like they needed to perform. Charles waltzing in, absolutely cool, calm, collected. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, hey, we've been joined by another member of the uh, the Network 10 team, Scott McKinnon. Now, look, we're talking Ferrari. Look at it. In fact, there is Mattia Bonotto just joining the celebrations with the two drivers. But um, you've seen a few motor races in your time. In fact, you've seen a lot of different sporting events, haven't you? You do everything for the guys down here. What did you make of not just Ferrari today, but the whole thing, the Ferrari and Melbourne? and The whole thing was epic. <laughs> Listen, Listen to, to that. Well, it's a dominant performance. I actually felt that this was um, Schumacher-esque. That level of performance that we saw today. You know what impressed me then? They had Carlos Sainz in there and they were whooping him up as well. He had a yeah. nightmare of a weekend. He said he was angry yesterday. He would have had steam coming out of his ears today. But um, they're still getting him involved in the team spirit. 
which is great to see. Tara Rushton has joined us as well, another member of the Channel 10 mob. We're lacking seats here, Tara. What are we going to do about this? I'm Scotty, no, Scotty, Scotty, right. Scotty, pull that chair up there. I was nearly about to launch myself onto someone's lap. Tara, how much have you enjoyed this weekend? This has been such an epic weekend, to be honest with you, such a party atmosphere. It's incredible to be here, hundreds of thousands of people, Melbourne is back. The weather's been phenomenal, the racing's been incredible and working with all of you, such a great team and meeting you in the flesh. I listen to your potty, I'm a massive fan. You are a superstar, even though you were described as an English rose when we were on air and I thought, Oh, an English rose that could wilter under this hot Australian well, sun. I was, hey, You've tanned Tara, under the sun, Tom. You're going Tara, home with I've a been tan. wilting all weekend, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's, it's been a big uh, weekend. It's been a big weekend, but it's been huge fun. Let's just start running through this race. We've talked about Leclerc. We've said it's been utterly dominant. So where is this left Red Bull? Richard, they're massively on the back foot now. They are. The... the there must be a concern over their reliability of that car. Now, whether that's something in the transition from the Honda power units last year to taking it in-house, continuing to push the limits. Clearly, Ferrari have brought upgrades to their mechanical package on their car this year because it's very, very strong. But the Rebels were still the fastest car in a straight line. So whatever they're doing is working. They've got performance, but the reliability is the key factor. And it's all great being second on the road, but if you're not scoring the 18 points that go with it, there's doesn't amount to very much so the pressure's on and and it will be a test of that team to see how they rebound from that and they've now got a two-week turnaround before they go to San Marino and Imola for the next race and that's going to be a different kettle of fish again so the, the pressure's on isn't it against a resurgent Ferrari which has got to be good for Formula One to have the Scuderia back on top. A good Ferrari is a good Formula One there's no doubt about that now Sammy, you got your teeth straight into Max Verstappen in the pen, didn't you, when he got back after that, that DNF? What did he say? He was not he was he was not full of words, I'm gonna be honest. Uh, it, you know, he's gutted. He was absolutely gutted that he wasn't be able to, he wasn't in a position to be able to challenge for that podium for that win. As Richard Crowell said, you know, he had a few opportunities to try and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Charles Leclerc, but he just couldn't match him pace. So yeah, Max not full of words, but um, I asked him whether or not, you know, you've got Red Bull. They're phenomenally well-renowned at being able to develop a car. That's got to account for something, but still not much joy out of him. No, not much joy at all, but at least Perez did at least get on the podium for them. He said he was surprised uh, after the race in the press conference. He was surprised by the pace of Ferrari. It caught them out. He's driving really well this year, isn't he? And that pole position in Saudi Arabia a couple of weeks ago felt like a bit of a release for Checo. It took him 215 races. It's been a well-documented stat to get that You're first pole. You're a good pole. stat man, right? I, I love a number or You've two. You've delivered a few of them over uh, the had, weekend. Had to roll them out. The, the favourite one, if I can digress a bit, and you did say this is a bit of a free oh, off you go, mate. Want. My favourite stat was that when Fernando Alonso made his debut at Albert Park for Minardi in 2001, Yuki Tsunoda was 10 months old. And I love <laughs> that in today's race, they went for a little period, they went wheel to wheel. I thought that was just the best stat I've ever found. Yeah. Um, but I love Perez. Uh, he was really good today. And he needs to take the fight up to Max, but not just for him, but for Red Bull. They need two competitive cars. It's what they lacked in that world title fight last year, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Mercedes-AMG, who, for the most part, had two very good cars all season. Yeah, and there's no doubt in my mind that he's a proper wingman for Max Verstappen now, uh, Sergio Perez. He's been much more, much more competitive all year. Now, our stat man, 
Richard Crail is now going to tell us how many people were here this weekend? 417,000 over the four days. So it's the biggest ever four-day crowd in Melbourne for the Australian Grand Prix. 25 editions of it. Sold out 130,000 today. Saturday, 118,000 on the Friday, which is by far and away the biggest crowd for a pair of practice sessions. It, it speaks to two things. One, yes, the drive to survive effect has had a role, but I think that desperation for this city to move on from what it's been through over the last two years and this Grand Prix being cancelled in 2020 where it all for a lot of motor racing people got pretty real it's bounced back unbelievably well it's extraordinary scenes did you see the pit straight after the race and it was like being at Monza there was a time when you used to get fined for doing stuff like that the sea of people went from turn 14 to turn one and it was just this one unmoving mass of humanity now look lads let's talk Mercedes, Sammy Power, Russell P3, second in the World Championship. Bet you he's pinching himself right now. How's that for a start? I mean, you know, everyone thought he'd take probably a half dozen races to even get close to being on Lewis's marker, let alone ahead of him. I mean, it's just extraordinary what he's been able to do. He he did everything right in the first in. He just stayed in touch. And then when those browner pit stops came open, he just seized the opportunity. Bang, leapfrog. So... Yeah, hugely strong effort. He's driving unbelievably well. And that car's not easy. We just see, we've seen all weekend long that that was an absolute tricky, tricky car to be able to control. Yeah, I mean, Lewis Hamilton said he almost spun it in a straight line on Friday. But, hey, on the subject of Lewis, Tara, you sat down with Lewis uh, just before the start of the weekend, didn't you? How did you find him? He loves Melbourne. He'd been out for a surf at Urban Surf. He's been back in front of the piano. He was talking about how much he enjoyed being back in Australia. Had a big smile on his face behind a mask, but I could see it through his eyes. And he seemed as though he was in a pretty good place. But yes, he did speak about the fact that Mercedes have had some issues ahead of this season and that there is no quick fix, but the season is long. So it's not warning bells or alarm bells just yet and that there is still time. But yes, he is in a very unfamiliar position. And also I asked him about his mental health struggles as well that he'd been very open about on social media. And I guess the big thing to say with Lewis is that he he said yes, because I know uh, sharing these struggles is a great thing and using his platform to do so. And that on the day that I sat down with him, he was feeling okay. And you have some days that are good and some days that aren't so good. And he was very open about that. But I think that he is definitely one person that transcends the sport. And what he does is really shine a light in so many important aspects outside of the four wheels and all his activism, equality, what he does for women, and also just what we see and what he wants for the sport. It's it's really special and very important. So I thought it was a, it was a great chat, but it, it was, you know, he was open in bits, but it was business mode. It's Lewis Hamilton. You've interviewed so many mega stars in your career, that right? That could be a stretch. Where does, he, where, <laughs> where does he rate in terms of just how you felt he dealt with the interview and how professional he was and how engaging he was? Look, I think he's someone that being in the game for such a long time has it pretty down packed in terms of you come you sit you've got your time time frame to get the questions done and he would have an idea of what people are going to ask him but at the same time what is really appreciated is that nothing is off limits which with other identities sometimes it's please send me the questions and you can't ask about 15 things and some of them are really obvious or really timely all the biggest stories so they don't want to go there but the interview 
wasn't tainted with any of that. I really felt like he gave good access. He, we went everywhere that I led him in the interview talking about the unfamiliar position he was in, talking about his legacy, what does he want, what does he want to go for, who does he drive for. And I, I think Lewis Hamilton really knows himself well. That's what I got a sense of. He knows who he is. He's confident in self, isn't he? And like when you're a seven-time world champion, you can probably afford to be. Exactly right. The, the question I've got, the, the thing that interests me about Lewis, guys, is that in 2016, he and his teammate, Nico Rosberg, fought for the world championship. And it was the first time in the Mercedes AMG era of Formula One that we saw Lewis Hamilton under proper pressure and it came from within, came from within the team. And, and Nico Rosberg got in his head and beat him to the world championship. Is, is there going to be a Nico Rosberg effect from George Russell? Because he's beaten him in two of the three races. It's a tiny sample size, I know, but that's a storyline I'm interested to see. Now, Mercedes aren't quite at the top of the leaderboard right now, but can they be as the season goes on? And what effect will Lewis having a properly strong teammate in racing conditions do from a, a, an overall championship point of view? There's got to be some haunted memories there. Absolutely. I mean, Nico, that relationship started off so good as well. I mean, history is kind of repeating itself in many ways. We've seen, uh, you know, here everything was fine. And looking in there, embracing the uh, in, in the media pen, I'd say that they're still on very, very good form at the moment. But, you know, these things can turn ugly. Um, Lewis has had, you know, he had trouble with Fernando. He had trouble with Nico. It only took a couple of Grand Prix to start to really unfold, and then, it, and then it took a turn for the worse. But that being said, I think Lewis has also changed. He's matured. I'm not necessarily saying that he was the initiator there. He was the catalyst at all. But it might well be the opposite. It's definitely one we need to watch. It put the pressure on because George got... Lucky is such a tough word to use in F1, but he got lucky with the timing of that safety car and bailed into pit lane and got a free pit stop. But I think it's really interesting. That team battle is going to be an interesting one to follow. Norris and Ricardo make it the first double points finish for McLaren in 2022. Fifth for Norris, sixth for Daniel Ricardo, and the home crowd love that. We're joined now by Andreas Seidel, of course, team principal of McLaren. You guys have had a stunning race, fifth and sixth. Just how much of a boost is this? Uh, a big boost to the team after the tough start into the season. It was obviously great to see also today on Sunday that we could make the, the step forward in terms of performance that we have seen already on Friday and, and Saturday. So also today over the race distance. So well done also from Daniels and Lando's side. In the end, these two guys pulled it off whenever we met at this weekend. It's great to see the team did an excellent job. I think two great pit stops again from the crew. So a lot of positives to take away from here, which helps us to keep going flat out back home, uh, working on the upgrades that we are planning, because it's clear we want to get closer to the front again after the difficult start we had into the season. But I'm leaving this place tonight as a happy man. How's Danny Rick? Of course, the Aussie focus is on Dan Ricardo, pipped by his teammate again. Is he satisfied or did he just want more? Uh, Daniel, I think, was happy uh, after the race as well because, first of all, I think the most important thing for him is also to see that we are making progress. And he had a good weekend as well. He was, uh, it was pretty much the same performance from both guys um, all weekend, which is what I want to have. I need two top guys in the car in order to be in the fight uh, for the Constructors' Championship positions. So uh, I think from this point of view, it's all good. Of course, uh, these two guys behind the steering wheel uh, want more as well, similar to us. 
but it's good also seeing how they were dealing with the situation the last two three weeks staying positive helping me leading the team also in this challenging situation and it's good to see that it yeah that we can make our race steps Andreas very quickly in the pen in qualifying you came down there to basically look like you wanted to jump over and give Dan a hug after that qualifying performance I mean you've got his back yeah no it's I mean it's a I love this sport because it's a it's a team sport it's a people's sport um, for me it's important also that uh, when you have a highlight like yesterday which was a highlight for us after the difficult start that you also yeah celebrate these moments because that's why we love the sport uh, because of all these roller coasters we are going through with the ups and downs of course you want to have more highs than downs but uh, now it's good I'm happy track specific or can you do this at Imola um, difficult to say I think we have a package which we is able to fight for top 10 positions at every race because I think uh, Bahrain was just a very special race weekend for us because we lost all the laps before uh, when we couldn't do the test but still it's obviously not where we want to be we want to have a more competitive package but we're working on it and I'm confident that with a bit of time uh, we will come back look you've got to go and catch your plane they'll keep it for you if you just say I'm Dan Ricardo's boss <laughs> Dan Ricardo's boss and they won't go Andreas thank you now he is a good poker player all right he never gives anything away mm. normally but just look at the smile on his face i want to be playing him right now yeah. because he's a happy man it's isn't a good he? day for mclaren it's the day they had to have qualified well for the first time this year and, and executed really well I, I loved early in the race that they were quite aggressive in putting pressure on the two mercedes amgs and for a moment there there was if it wasn't for that safety car, I think they were angling at a bit of an undercut perhaps on that first round of pit stops with Lando. And Lando's outlap was spectacular. Really, really impressive lap. Uh, and then the two of them finished nose to tail at the end. And I thought Daniel's drive was his best this year to put that much pressure on Lando right at the end of the race. And best of last year, excluding Monza as well. Yeah. I thought he was right up there. Yeah. Completely agree with you there, Richard. Well, we're joined now by Grace Ricardo, Daniel's mum, it's so wonderful to see you at a race again. When were you last at a Grand Prix? Gosh, Austin. Austin 2019. It's been a while. There's been a lot of water under the bridge. How excited are you to see Dan in a McLaren? It's the first time you've seen him race a McLaren. Yeah, very excited, very excited. Yeah, lucky we got to Melbourne after, um, what, two years of lockdown. We finally got here. But, um, yeah, it's been great. It's been a long two years. That's what I was going to ask you. He talks about how hard it was when he couldn't get back to Australia and the homesickness. And I mean, what is it like being a mum and just seeing your son racing all around the world and you can't be with him? It's hard because he was so used to having somebody every, I don't know, five to six weeks. We'd get over there, watch a couple of races, do him a few cooked meals. It's just having family. I mean, he's the only one out of all the drivers, everyone goes home to family, but he's, what is it, 12,000 miles away? So it's hard. And when you're a close family, it's even harder. What's going on with the wine trade? <laughs> okay, the wine. So what is this DR3 wine? And I want to know more about this decanter. There's some shoe-shaped decanter, the shoey. <laughs> Rumour has it that was your idea. Is there any truth to that? <laughs> Absolutely not. He actually says they're selling like hot cakes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. But no, that definitely wasn't my idea. Even the wine. I don't know. He must get that from his father. <laughs> well, this is great because this is a podcast, right? And I... 
Dan Ricardo's smile. I mean, when you light up and smile, it, it is honestly, it, I can see where it comes from. I want to ask about Dan's music taste because he's got some interesting musical taste. Is that from you? Where does he get that from? I like my music too, but um, I have to say he even likes some of our old music. Bob Dylan, definitely. That was his father's doing. Um, yes, it's very varied. I like country. He likes country. So, yeah, he's a bit of everything. How yeah, he is he music. on a tractor? We know he's pretty good out on a racetrack, and, and he loves buzzing around with his kind of a Cobra on. I mean, he, he misses Australia dearly, <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. He's just down to earth, just a laid-back Australian boy with Italian heritage. He's also very good on a motorbike, isn't he? He was telling me he's got this 110 motorbike and does all the jumping and... Oh, I, I don't know, am I meant to say that? I hope Andreas Seidel hasn't... Look, I, we ran some pictures today of him jumping oh, okay, into that's fine. water. And so it's your I, fault. I, I it's your fault, not mine. I, well, it's out there. Shall we say it's out there for everyone to see? But I, I was shocked and dismayed when I saw it because I was like, ooh injuries could occur but uh, he's obviously very good at crash landing into the the lakes and ponds up there has he always been an adrenaline junkie definitely he comes home and i think haven't you had enough he's out on a motorbike yeah he just loves speed adventures yep 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 he would love a motorbike but i said to him i'm pretty good with four wheels absolutely not with two no I've got to ask you from the mother's perspective, right? So my mum used to freak out when I was playing football, when I used to ski around. She'd be terrified. Now, that is nothing. That's not a pinch on driving a Formula One car at over 300 k's an hour. So how do you get through a race weekend, all the practice sessions, qualifying, and then the race? Yeah, I know. I don't know. It doesn't get any easier, I'll tell you that. It's something you never get used to. And what do you think when, you know, it was so good to see Dan winning events for Australia. Like, we love this guy. He's a, he's a pin-up boy for Australia. But then when he gets up there and he's drinking champagne <laughs> out of a shoe that he's been driving around a track in for 58 <laughs> laps. I mean, Is that your idea proud, as well? Mom? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It shocked us the first time. I'd, I thought he had a pebble in his shoe. We see him sit down, he's taken off his shirt. I thought, what's he doing? And then he drank out of it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. He gets the crowd going and he's just having fun, which is good. It's such a serious sport. To have a bit of fun with it is great. And just on the back of that, it, it, the mental resilience that he's got to come here with all that pressure on his shoulders, I mean, the build-up through this event, it was just Dan Ricardo craziness. How do, you, how do you talk to him about that? How do you console him about that? How, do you, how have you done such a good job in raising this kid? We don't say anything. We don't talk motorsport out of motorsport, you know, out of a, a weekend. I don't know. He certainly doesn't get it from me because I'm a wreck. He's just he's very, very good. He's very composed and he knows he's got a job to do and he just does it. Puts himself into the zone, he reckons when the helmet's on, that's it. You know? The only question I've got, Mum, is there are 130,000 people here today and I reckon 75% of them were wearing either a Daniel Ricciardo cap or a McLaren cap because Daniel drives for them. How does that make you and your husband feel? It must be an incredible sight to know that an incredible sea of humanity are all there supporting your boy. It's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. But you know what? When he was little, there was something about him that he used to walk into a room and he had this really grin on his face. And I don't know. I knew that there was something about him. We call that star quality, Grace. 
Yep. Which you've definitely got as well. And thank you very much for coming on the show, F1 Nation with Grace Ricardo. Lovely meeting you all, thank and you. I'm glad you enjoyed the weekend. Safe travels. Thank you, thank you very thank much, you. Grace. Hopefully we'll see you at a race soon. Right, guys, we're joined now by uh, the engineering chief, I like to call him at Alpine, Alan Permain. Look, disappointing end to the Grand Prix, ultimately for you guys, Alan, but my God, your racing car is quick. Yeah, it's not a bad little car, is it? Speed-wise, a great weekend. Yeah, very good. Very good in qualifying. Even Esteban, although he, I think he ended out ninth was, or eighth, was unhappy. He was really unhappy. He should have been a little bit higher than that. And Fernando... I think somewhere third or fourth would be is a is a realistic effort. I know there's the talk of pole and stuff, but I, I don't think that was quite on. But significantly high up, and then from there you have a completely different race. It, you know, we were forced to do a, a an unusual strategy today, a, a reverse strategy because he was out of position. A safety car came out at exactly the wrong time uh, when it was just looking good and working well. Without that safety car, what might have been possible for Alonso? I suspect it, and I, I don't know, I haven't looked at it yet, somewhere around where the McLarens were. So either just in front or just behind them, but I, I don't know. Which is just pretty credible sign from 10th, I think, to, to be 5th, 6th, 7th or something like that. It seems to me every time you run this car, it gets faster and faster and more competitive. Are you confident that you can carry this pace forward going to Imola, going to, well, we don't know much about Miami yet, but particularly Imola in two weeks' time? Yeah, I think so. We've got a nice upgrade coming in Imola. Um, who have a new floor. Uh, that, I think that'll just be for one car at the moment. It was planned for Miami, and we've managed to pull it forward for, for Imola. So I'm very confident there. Uh, it might be a little track specific. We we struggled a bit in in, uh, in Bahrain, and here we've been we've been pretty happy. So let's see. I don't think Imola is too dissimilar to here. There's some high speed corners, change of direction, that sort of thing. So uh, no, we're looking forward to going. Alan, I have to ask, nice to meet you by the way, um, Fernando's qualifying lap, where was it going to be? Because we've theorised about it in the broadcast on, on Channel 10 all weekend, it was mighty up until Sector 2, where do you think he would have landed? I, I need to know because it was such a good show right to that point. That lap was heading for an 18-3, I don't know where that would have put him, but he had another set. So let's say he's going to take another tenth, tenth and a half off with this next set. So 18.15, 18.2, something like that. That's close so, to front row. Yeah, he wouldn't have been on pole, but front row or second or third, second, third, fourth. Who knows really where it absolutely would have been. But that that lap itself was was definitely, he was he was four and a half tenths up, I think, at the point where, he, uh, where it all went wrong. So another tenth or so in the last corner, half a second up, would have, would have been an 18-3. So, like I say, 18-150, 18-2 was realistic to, to finish the, the, the session on. And what, what level is Fernando remaining at? You know, 40 uh, years the, old. The very, the very highest level. Mm. I, I, no doubt in my mind. Mm. I think people asked me this all last year, and there's, there's no... In my, in my opinion, he's... he's he doesn't seem any different to when he when he drove yeah. 15 years ago for us. So. Of course, because you worked with him when he when he won this Grand Prix back in 2006. Uh, yeah, I was actually I was engineering the other car, Giancarlo Fisichella. <laughs> yeah. You were looking from across the garage at just how good he was, right? Yeah. Fernando was a little bit of the enemy, and we could never we could no matter how good a weekend we we had we we could never we could never get in front of him. So uh, I know how good he is. But then I worked with him when I, when I when I was chief engineer, and I've known him a long time. So yeah, uh, he's he's uh, he's the real deal. That's for sure. Alan, thank you very much for coming on the show, and good luck at Imola with the new floor and. There's a lot of love for Alpine and Fernando Alonso, huh? Thank you, guys. So, front row for Fernando Alonso. That's great insight, isn't it? Yeah. 
That's cool. So Alan Permain, for people who aren't familiar with the name, has been a an Enstone stalwart. Uh, Enstone being where the Alpine team is based in the UK. He's been there forever. And, you know, he was there, as I said, with Alonso 15 years ago. And when he says Alonso's as good now as he was back then, you just got to believe him because he's seen them all. He's worked with them all. He worked with Kimi Raikkonen, of course, when he was at the team. From an outsider coming in, Alpine looks like a team that are building to something pretty special. They look like they're developing their... They're getting the right people. What Marsaf now coming in, Alan Pomain, as you said, Alonso going well, and they've got Oscar Piastri in the wings as a reserve driver and, and a guy that Mark Webber rates as one of the best young talents to come through the sport, and his results back that up. So it feels like there's, there's a lot of good things going on at that team. They're wheeling out the big guns now. I feel like the family <laughs> is complete because Mark Webber has joined us. <laughs> Tell us about the weekend for you. What do you make of it all? Uh, oh, mate, look, of course, I'm biased, I'm patriotic. Uh, phenomenal sporting event, uh, long overdue. We, we, we missed a few opportunities probably to have the event here under the pandemic, but, um, you know, the country was very conservative and, and here we are and uh, they've over-delivered, I'd say. You know, uh, 419,000, phenomenal. To share the commentary box with you guys will be uh, one of the highlights of my career. Um, <laughs> forget, those, forget those nine wins. <laughs> But no, it's just been great. You know, obviously, you know, everyone's been frothing to get back here. Uh, the weather's been box office. The race itself was, uh, through Leclerc's clinic, made it a little bit boring. But um, ultimately, you know, we've got to accept uh, phenomenal performances when they come along. And that was one that we saw today. He, everyone had to make their own arrangements to his uh, superior performance. I felt it was a bit Schumacher-esque. We've had lots of races like that, haven't we, from whether it was Lewis or even Max at certain points last year where they disappeared down the road. So we're just used to, unfortunately, seeing races decided on the last lap, you know, but by a few seconds here and there. So when you see like a six-second lead, it's like, what the hell is this? This is unusual. So, yeah, it was a little bit of an unusual gap. Uh, but anyway, great performance. I feel like if this was the opening race of the year like it used to be, we would have come out of that going... Not a bad race, good way to start the season. Problem is we came off Bahrain and Saudi, which were pretty good motor races overall. Yeah. Where do you think Formula One looks back at this race with the new package, both track and car? I think that you're right, mate. I think that you know the guys uh, were up against the two tough venues in terms of those races, for whatever reason, did produce really good car mm. races. Uh, you know, And we've been highly critical here, obviously. We're trying to get a phenomenal Grand Prix at every single race and look it's, it, it happens where every now and again someone gets down the road so I think that the regulations here uh, there'll be some lessons on probably on DRS to be honest anything we can do there to try and stimulate maybe a few more moves but it's just the fast flowing nature of the, of the track that actually makes it probably still quite difficult to get the moves done we're joined now by Otmar Safnauer, the big boss of Alpine. Got anything you want to ask Otmar? Uh, I think Otmar knows that... Um, <laughs> when, when's he racing you? When, when? No, 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 no. No, no, he's gonna, he knows I'm going to give him a, a, a bit of a tune-up about Oscar. But but in, in terms of talk about missed opportunities, I mean, the Alpine were absolutely on fire this weekend. I mean, what Fernando was doing in, in practice, I just thought they can't continue this in qualifying they must run low fuel in p3 the engines wound up and then come qualifying they went even quicker so uh that was really impressive to see obviously the failure in qualifying then put him on the back foot for the race strategy didn't roll their way i'm trying to fill in for what the the legend's going to tell us here right now but um all i can say mate is tough luck and ripping an imola mark webber's leaving mark thank you so much for your time did mark sum it up otmar 
he did sum it up and the fact that we didn't qualify on the front row with a quick car meant that we did an alternative strategy for uh, Fernando starting on the hard tire hoping everybody would pit early uh, out of the way and we could use the pace to make up time and it was all going swimmingly until I think Sebastian decided to put his car in the wall to stop our strategy and he did it. Well, they're just so disappointed that you left Aston Martin to go to Alpine. They'd do anything just to, you know, put a spanner in the work. I think that's absolutely right. They they knew they knew our strategy was to go long, and they thought, "I'll I'll show these guys." They didn't they didn't think I can get a safety car out there at this point, and they did. How are you finding life at Alpine? Well, I'm I'm still assessing, and uh, I've only been there for a month. But uh, yeah, the car is very competitive nothing to do with me but the the people who uh developed the car uh over the winter and and those back at the factory um continually making parts to uh supply for spares as well as the upgrades they're a a good bunch of people um they've been racing for a long time great experience the race engineers are experienced we have two good drivers so the ingredients are all there it's just unfortunate that uh, we've had a bit of bad luck in the first three races, but the performance is there. The harder we work, the luck will come, and so will the points. So I'm happy. You've worked with Ocon before. You haven't worked with Fernando Alonso before. Easy to work with? Yeah. He sees life just like I see life. It's all about performance. Leave no stone unturned. You've got to do everything you can to get the next bit of performance on the car and do a good job on track. I think his motivational techniques are maybe a little bit different than mine, but, you know, he's got less people to motivate than I do. And, um, yeah, brilliant. Omar, it's wonderful to see you guys up there. Thank you very much for coming to join us. Safe trip back to Europe. It's a long old flight. How how do you amuse yourself for 24 hours on a plane? Uh, Mainly through sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Dreaming of that win. Omar, thanks so much. Great, Great to speak to you. And well done this weekend, even if the ultimate result didn't play out for you. So let's go further down the order. The McLaren's fifth and sixth today, then uh, Ocon in seventh. Now, what about Valtteri Bottas in eighth in the the Alfa Romeo? Another tremendous performance. After not qualifying well and the longest qualifying three-streak in Formula One history, almost double the next best, and that came to an end uh, on Saturday. But what a really good racy drive. And actually, Joe Guan Yu had pretty good race pace as well. So those cars are pretty handy this year, but feels like it's Bottas 2.0, isn't it, at the moment? He's been rebooted, and he's got this team that he's building around him now, and he's got that leadership role with a rookie driver alongside him. And it was a racy, aggressive elbows-out drive. He had a couple of moments with Lance Stroll. He got a five-second penalty for weaving in front and uh, a battle with the Alpha Tower, Pierre Gasly as well. But it was racy. It was elbows out. I loved seeing that from yeah. Bottas. It was yeah. cool. I, th- I think, Richard, I think you've lost count. I think we're on Bottas 5.0. 5. 5. Oh, yeah. Do you remember right. during yeah. the Mercedes era? But I am loving seeing Valtteri Bottas in this Alfa Romeo. I, he, you feel like the shackles have come off. He, he mm. seems so much more relaxed out of the car. Inside the car, he is a lot more racy than yeah. he ever was in the Mercedes. Always been quick over one lap, never had any question marks about that. But actually, he's really good now at making progress in a Grand Prix, and that we didn't see so often in a Mercedes. And it must be hard to be Lewis Hamilton's teammate against 
that level of competition and the greatest driver of the last 15 years in Formula One. So it must be just so freeing to be in that environment. Okay, so Bottas eighth, Pierre Gasly ninth in the Alpha Tauri. Now, Scotty, is it true that you are president and CEO of the Pierre Gasly <laughs> fan club? I was for a couple of years, but um, I really do like Valtteri Bottas. I think he is an honorary Australian because of Tiffany Cromwell and that fair dinkum that helmet, that lid that, that he showed genius, off, wasn't it? And absolute for, genius. He loves this place. For driver spotting as well, it was fantastic. I, I, I loved every moment of that, but I love a bit of Pierre as well. Although Alex Albon undoubtedly had a brilliant Grand Prix here, didn't he? Finished 10th in a Williams. Tell us about the strategy. Richard, you were calling the race and you kept talking about Albon saying, when is this man going to pit? Loved it. Your driver of the race, Richard. It was. Uh, it was the weird uh, almost no-stop strategy, but with the Formula One rule that you have to run both compounds of tyres, they went 57 laps on the hard tyre that he started on. Didn't qualify well. Williams troubles had the, the crash with um, Lance Stroll in practice early in the week. Uh, qualifying one, wasn't it, early in the weekend. Had to rebound from that. He was coming into the race with a grid penalty anyway. So I think they just went, you know what? stuff it let's just roll the dice and see what happens so they went the hard tire he made good ground early when everyone stopped so he got some track position and this wasn't going to be a race where track position really worked but it did and we looked at the timing monitor with four laps to go when mark left the commentary box to go and do the podium interviews and all of a sudden he was seventh and we were going how did that happen and then he stopped on the final lap put the medium tire on and ended up scoring a point for williams now you've got a very powerful voice richard but were your ears burning because we are actually <laughs> on cue alex albon has joined us uh, you are richard's driver of the day thank you very much. what a tremendous grand prix by you you must be thrilled yeah very thrilled thank you feel super happy it was a uh, it was a long race it felt like I was doing qualifying for, for half of it. And unexpected. We saw the best possible result we could get was 19th. That was, that's all we had. That's the only calculation we had to, to get today. And yet we came away with a point, which almost we, we're trying to re, reverse engineer the car and understand why were we so fast. <laughs> was there any point where you're thinking, hang on, have they remembered I've actually got to make a pit stop here? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we have a plan. We always have plans. We have different plans for different amounts of pit stops. And um, for today, no one, well, at least we, we never thought, you know, more than 30 laps on a tyre, oof, you know, that, that's a big ask. And we were like, well, let's, let's think about it. And, um, you know, James, my engineer, was just saying, okay, we'll go plus three. I was like, plus three, I can do that. So I kept, Plus fifteen. I was like, plus, plus fifteen. <laughs> I was like, plus fifteen. That's that's only a lot more. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, plus fifteen. And then, but plus fifteen was already about forty-five laps. It's still, still a long way to go. And they just kept adding laps. So can we do another three more? Can we do another two more? And I was like, yeah, we can. I mean, I'm driving. How tough was it to keep the car on the road and competitive? It's weird because the car was just getting better and better. It was honestly, I don't know what it is, but we we are really good at that tire. It, it happened in Jeddah, it, it happened a little bit in Bahrain. Let's say we were less competitive with the other sides in Bahrain. It's our good one. I was saying to the guys, we must probably need to come into Imola 
10 sets of tires. How many, what's our allocation for the weekend? I, I forget now, Thir but- 13, I think. 13, yeah. we should have just 13 primes and just, <laughs> just go racing. Because we, we, we seem to like it and I don't know what it is about it, but um, you know, it was, it was a really special day and especially more than anything, um, we've had a tough start to the season. There's no, there's no hiding that, um, but there's a lot of motivation. There's a lot of desire. There's a lot of dedication in, in the team back at Grove, but also here at the track. And I feel like that's a reward for, for everything we've done. And it feels like, you know, we don't expect Inimola to score another point. I mean, we're, we're, that's what we're going to plan to do. But um, it feels great to give something and, and, you know, it's just a great morale booster. You spent most of that race in a battle and it was a battle for eight through about 17th place. And that yeah. midfield in Formula One this year is so competitive, isn't it? It is, it is. And it's, it's almost frustratingly close for us because it seems like Alpha and Haas have made that step up and they've joined the midfield battle yeah. and, and at least in the first two races we were kind of in, a, in our own little place and we're not further away from the front than previous years it's just that them guys have, have, have joined the pack yeah. and so it, it, it almost looks like you know we, we're, we're struggling but it, it's, it's the fact that you know Alpha and Haas have done a great job and so yeah it, it, it was nice to mix it and when I was in that group of cars I was like I guess parts of me was mostly looking at my rearview mirrors, but then very quickly I was losing them and yeah. then I was pulling away from them and I was like, well, okay, you know, here we go. We're, we're gaffing them and, uh, and yeah, it was really good. What did you make of the, the reconfigured Albert Park? It was good. I enjoyed it. I don't know how it came across on TV. I, I haven't, I don't know how many overtakes there were, but quick, quick, quick. It's mm. quick. And it was actually pretty physical. It was more physical than, than previous years. I think the cars are more physical too, just because you're fighting them much more. But um, yeah, it's quick. And of the, I don't know if you guys saw, you know, the walls are, are much closer this year. Mm. It makes it more of a street track. So your attention span is, has, you have to be thinking way more, you know, before you ran wide you just ran wide onto astroturf and running wide on astroturf is is safe you, you just slide whereas here you're in the wall so um that's what i meant by you know when i was doing them last few laps that it felt like a 25 lap qualifying session every lap you're you're near the wall you're fighting you're you're right on the edge and uh it takes it out of you yeah old school European circuit next at Imola. Does the approach change or and are you looking forward to going to a, not a straight circuit or not a circuit in the middle of the desert? Yeah, yeah we are. There's a lot of analysis that we need to do right now. We need to understand what's going on because we, 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 we tend to always make a good jump from FP3 to qualifying and we always seem to do well on the C2 and it means that there's potential in the car and we need to kind of unlock that. So Imola is obviously it's a different circuit, but I think it shares some similarities to Melbourne. There's a lot of high-speed chicanes going in. And there's not many low-speed corners. I imagine the McLarens are going to be quite quick, and, and there'll be a few cars that will spring surprises. Hopefully, we can capitalise on that. Well, it's been a massive confidence boost for you, for the team. Oh, by the way, are you loving life at Williams? Yeah, I am. You know, it's a different position that I was in with Red Bull, and I feel... More than anything, I, I, I'm a bit more of a team leader. I feel like I have to um, use my experience in the best way possible and develop the car with Nicky. And uh, I guess I, I feel like I've had a year to mature. I don't think I could have done that in 2020 or 2019. And I feel like I'm in a better position now. So um, I am enjoying it. It's a new challenge for me, but yeah, very good. Great to see you going so well. Just say it again, Rich. 
it's the most meaningless award in Formula One is the Richard Crow driver of the day. It means nothing, but it was for I, me I, today. It was I awesome. I take it with honour. I, I would say that's most probably the most um, prestigious award there is going. You say very nice things, Alex. I appreciate that. Alex, it's well wonderful done. to have Great you on drive. the show. Well done. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank Great nice. job. Well, final general question from me is, do we think Ferrari have got this one now? Do we think they are the team to beat or did we just see an off day from Red Bull? It would be very Ferrari for them to lose it from here, but we're also three races in. I've watched enough Formula One in my lifetime. Uh, look, they've clearly got a very good package. The development race is going to be the story and, and operating under the cost cap that we F1 is now. Can they keep that race up with a team in Red Bull that's proven to have been in a world title fight and developed their car throughout the year and work on the new car for this year, which they did last year? So for mine, I think Ferrari can. The question is, will they? And, and that's the million-dollar thing. But as you said at the start, a healthy Ferrari is a healthy Formula One. So right now, I think the sport's just riding on the fact that the red cars are good. I, I completely agree with that. And the only thing I'd add is that what's happened to Red Bull will have galvanised them. It will have caused them to go, right, we need to get this right. We can't let this slip anymore. We need to get back into this championship fight ASAP. So they're going to do everything they can to turn those cars around in the best fashion possible for Imola, where they've had a, you know, a lot of success before as well. So it's going are to be we, a battle. Are we forgetting about someone, guys? Mercedes, George Russell... I mean, these guys are driving a car that for them is a bit of a dog. And from what TC was telling us, if they untap that potential that's in that car, I mean, we're three rounds into the championship. I don't think we can write off Mercedes. I don't know it's about actually, you guys. That's actually a really good point. I mean, it's 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 crazy to look at it because they I mean, go the DNS exactly. too for Red Bull. Exactly. And, and they go, practice they have a difficult car, qualifying looks like a difficult car, and then all of a sudden in the race, they do unbelievably well. So if they fix that lead up to the Grand Prix, you're absolutely right. They could be in for a big one. Well, and there's a lot of races this year, more than ever before, 23. But Leclerc is already 34 points ahead of anyone else. George Russell in second. George must be pinching himself, mustn't he? Given the performance of the car, he's done a great job, Mr. Consistent. But I, I think Ferrari are looking really sharp, I have to say. They, uh, there was something about them today. I said it a little bit earlier on. I felt it was Schumacher-esque. Now, you'd never, ever underestimate Red Bull racing. And it'll be fascinating to see how they come back. But they've got a, as Max Verstappen said after the race, I need reliability. I don't need upgrades. I need reliability. He's so confident, isn't he? Leave the rest to me. Leave the performance to me. Just give me a reliable car. But he really needs it. Now, that's two races that he's, he's just uh, given so many points away. But, guys, a fascinating, wonderful weekend down under. I've completely loved it. I've loved hanging out with you guys. I'm going to finish by asking each of you for your driver of the day. Grayley, we know who yours is, you. alright, so uh, we needn't go there again, but Sam Power? Uh, be un-Australian of me not to say Dan Ricardo for soaking up that pressure and, and delivering. You know, he's done exactly what he needed to do. He's silenced the critics, he was on the same pace as, as Lando Bravo. Tara? You took the words out of my mouth, oh, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Ricardo, first points of the season. Best that he's done in 2022. We love Dan down under, and he's done a fantastic job with McLaren. So I think he's probably overachieved the expectations set by him. Scott? 
Uh, Seb Vettel, just speaking. No, just joking. <laughs> that was an absolute debate. Oh, look, hey, I've got to on say, a scooter. he's good on a scooter, the, especially wearing a helmet like right on the top of his head. But I've got to go with the man who won it, the Monegasque man, because I interviewed him at the start of the race weekend. He was focused, he was open, he was honest. He told me that, yes, I do have the car now to challenge for a world title. It's been touted that he can win a world title. He's got the weaponry, the team behind him to be able to get it done. And I also got lost in his eyes because he's a very good looking chap. <laughs> <laughs> Both of those Ferrari guys, they've got that one sewn up, haven't they? They, do. they really do. I'm going to go with Charles Leclerc. I love everything about that guy now. He delivered in qualifying when the pressure was really on. Remember, it was a really messy qualifying session with red flags and you have it. And, and, and yet he delivered then and ran away with the race. So hugely impressive. And we can do it all again in Imola in two weeks' time. Guys, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being Damon Hill and Natalie Pinkham. Between you all, it's been <laughs> wonderful. Thanks, Damon Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's wonderful. Thank you, and thank you to everyone at home for listening. It's great to have you with us. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.